Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. We are called to be on mission for God, regardless of where we live. And some have an adventurous spirit, and it causes them to do some things that those of us that do not have that spirit sit back and are amazed. But every one of us are to be on mission for God. And and one of the places that you can go in the Bible and see some missional practices is in the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. Not doctrinal, it's but it is practical missions. And uh, part of a church's purpose is to be on mission. If they're just sitting there and taking in and 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 not planting churches, not uh, helping people share the word of God, really, it's, it'd be a shame to call themselves a church because God put some qualifications on that. So we're looking today at seven practices of missional purpose in our lives and cues that we can take from the life of Paul. My co-host, as usual, is Nathan Harper. Nathan's going to lead us through this, and you wonder why. Nathan, is uh, he's missional in his purpose, five years as a missionary to refugees, and even today looking at missional in a church, what we can do to reach others. And so it's one of those things, and I, I, I went to college, I went to seminary, but when it came to missions, Nathan is one of three people that taught me more about missions than anyone And so, Nathan, I always appreciate your teaching concerning missions in the Bible, and uh, it's it's just has helped me, and thank God it's helping thousands because of what we're able to do here on Exploring Missions. So dive in and take us through these seven practices of missional purpose, taking cues from the Apostle Paul. Yeah, that's our prayer, is not only uh, learning these and noticing these, you know, the Bible is a... Uh, missional handbook, a book of mission strategy and practice and principle. And, you know, some people have said the Bible has a mission, you know, and you can find the mission of God in the Bible. Other people have said the mission has a Bible. Um, (laughs) Either way, you look at it, we do look at the Bible to learn what to do. So the real prayer is that we will put these into practice. Yeah, I, you know, always knew it was a handbook for Christian living, and I knew it was a theological statement. I knew it was a historical statement, but when I, when I saw it as a missional book, so it made the whole Bible better, but it made certain passages come alive. Yeah. If you're not looking at missions, certain passages just Oh, well, okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it and read it missionally, it, it changes the whole focus of that passage. It does. And so this is a, this is a passage. We're going to look in Acts chapter 17. We're pretty much going to look at the whole chapter just through Acts 17. And when I would 
in the past, one of the perspectives I used to read this through was a more of through like an apologetics type of lens and, and which is, you know, apologetics can be a part of missions and it's essential in a lot of cases and an important thing. So it's not wrong to read it that way, but that was kind of what I had limited it to. But then joining the mission field, uh, you know, purposely living incarnationally and intentionally, sharing the gospel, making disciples, seeing churches planted among internationals, then, yeah, this passage became more than just like a little apologetics little uh, text for me. Yeah, it changes things. Being on mission like that changes your perspective. It's like taking a trip to Israel when Jen and I went to the Holy Land and We heard people, man, it just comes alive. And now when I'm reading the New Testament and Old Testament and I can visualize that location, it helps. So the same thing is true missionally. If you're wanting the Bible to come alive, uh, get on mission for the Lord. Work with some people that are, uh, regardless of who is in your community, God, God planted you there for the time being. And so... Whatever the people are there, there's the ones that God wants you to reach. Absolutely. So hopefully these seven practices that we're just going to pull out of here of Acts 17, you'll be able to immediately start working on these and, and put putting them into practice and prayerfully seeing fruit. Uh, but these are just basic things. So uh, let's start looking in uh, Acts chapter 17. Just real quick, I've kind of broken them down like almost as an outline. So the first section is verses 1 through 15. We're not going to read all that, but I do want to look at a few verses out of there. But the first missional practice for our churches, for ourselves, is to work in teams, okay? We, will, we don't want to do this as an individual. This is for God's plan was to work as groups, in small groups, but in, in groups of two, three, or whatever, but work in teams as you go about serving the Lord, okay? That's... That's the basic bottom line, the default setting, okay, for mission. Look at verse 1, uh, Acts 17, verse 1. It says, Then they traveled through Am- Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. It says they. So what we know a little bit about the book of Acts was written by who? It was written by Luke. Yeah. And so when he says they, what does that mean? He wasn't with them he at that time. He wasn't with them at this time, okay? So whoever they is, this missionary team, obviously it's going to include Paul, but it does not include Luke, okay? I just wanted to bring that out. Yeah. Look and, at verse, and when you read it, you'll find it when it says we, yes. those are the times that he was, uh, Luke was with him. There, there are. There are times yeah. and places where Luke kind of comes and goes, and that's yeah. kind of the case with this mission team of Paul's. Is there's different members in the It was fluid, wasn't it? It was. Okay. Yes. So uh, verse 4 says Then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. Okay. So possibly this team uh, included not just men, but also women. Obviously, there's Paul and Silas as a part of it. They were probably the leaders of this team. Okay. And it wasn't just Jewish believers, it were Greek believers, okay? So, you know, a multi-ethnic, more than, you know, more than just men serving on a team, and I think that's important as well, 
the more diverse we can be as a team, the more effective I think we can be. The diversity usually works in the gender issue, and you always do that with qualifications when traveling. Yeah. You always do that. You have with, to be careful. You have to be careful. And let me just make this suggestion. Make sure if you're married and one of those is going on a mission trip, make sure the other spouse, if they're not going, they're in full support of them going. You don't want to go on a mission trip, short-term or whatever, yeah. when your spouse don't want you to go. Just yes. take that as a caution and don't go. I just wanted to lay And that's through experience as a pastor, Nathan, yeah. that I've observed some things that didn't need to happen, and uh, it, and we found out later, well, their spouse didn't really want them to go. So, But also diversity, it could be ethnic, right, yes. racial, mm-hmm. nationality. Yeah. It could be— but the common thread is Jesus Christ is Savior. Amen. No diversity there. That's exactly right. All right, let's look at verse 10. It says, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. So here we have Paul and Silas leaving from some of these towns that they were together with. Now Paul and Silas are going to split off of the group and go on to Berea. Okay? So this is just kind of we're tracking the, um, the narrative here a little bit. Uh, now let's go to verse 14 and 16, 14 through 16. It says, then the brothers immediately sent Paul away. Okay, so what's going to happen? Silas is going to stay. Paul went away to go on the sea, go to the sea, but Silas and Timothy <laughs> stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. What does that tell us? Paul is in Athens now by himself. Now, that wasn't originally, I don't think that was a part of Paul's plan. It just kind of happened that way because circumstances dictate. And that leads us to our next. I got a feeling. I know what this is. Yeah, our next practice. You don't want to do it alone. You don't want to neglect your team. You want to work in teams. But at the same time, number two, you must remain flexible. Got to. Okay. Sometimes you have to do things a little bit different than your pattern, than what's normal, than even what you originally planned to do, okay? Flexibility is key when you're working in missions. I'd remind people of this. Chapter 16 is when he's in Philippi, and his common practice was to go to the synagogue. But in Philippi, there was no synagogue. So he didn't write them off the list and say, I'm going to the next town, so I don't have to break my... Tradition in my yeah. practice, sometimes that tradition, your, your tradition, there's nothing wrong with good traditions. Don't you ever hear me saying that. But sometimes when those traditions get in the way of, of doing the will of God, you better be flexible. Yeah, the, let the context of the community to, a, to a, a point, to an extent, tell you, inform you of how you should do ministry, okay? Here, I don't know if it was the it was the— the the needs of the community that were dictating it. It was just the circumstances and how they had to rush away from certain cities. And it was for possibly safety precautions and reasons. Okay. But be flexible. Remain flexible. So flexibility is a mark of faith and trust in God who has placed us in a difficult situation. Okay. So you're, you're being flexible because the situation has become difficult in some measure. And so to remain flexible is to demonstrate your trust that God's got you 
And this didn't catch him by surprise. It might have surprised you, but remain flexible. It demonstrates your faith in God. Amen. Okay. Now, so here we have Paul in Athens, verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, okay, so he's waiting for Paul, uh, for Silas and Timothy to show up. But is he just going to sit back and kick back and relax <laughs> Let or me hide see. out? Or Let what? me see. Who is this? The Apostle Paul? Let me guess. No, he's not no, going to sit didn't. back. No. It says his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. Okay, so you can imagine Paul strolling through the streets of Athens, and everywhere he looks, there's these idols, these statues. Okay, so his his impulse, his mission impulse, his apostolic gifting, that that flame that's you know burning within him, is stirred up, and he's seeing all these idols. So he's going to go back to his strategy, okay? So even even though you remain flexible, number three, the third practice is you stay with the strategy. You stick to it. Amen. If if you can stick to the strategy, then stick to it. You've already probably mentioned this a little bit, but what is general generally Paul's strategy when he goes into a when he goes into a city? He always looked for a synagogue, and uh, but in Philippi there was not one. And here we find out that there's a place, though, where people meet. So the strategy would be, see if you're right, so in Philippi, he found out where they were meeting was on the riverbank, mm-hmm. and he went there. Here they find out they're meeting at a place there in Athens. What's it called? The uh, Aragopolis. Aragopolis, yeah. yeah. And guess what? That's where he goes. Yeah. Let's read uh, verse 17. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue, so he went to the Jewish people, okay, first, and that's his strategy. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he expanded his tra- tra- the synagogue plus, right? Yes. Okay. So Paul had a both and strategy, not an either or strategy, okay? Yeah. Both and strategies are usually the best, okay? And the the key to it is in, when you're working a strategy is to stay with it, is persistence, okay? His, his spirit was troubled within him. He, he noticed, he looked around, and he noticed things. In other words, God's, he had a passion for God's glory, and his heart was beating with God's heart. And when God looks at the city of Athens at that time, God notices those idols too and notices people bowing down, paying homage, worshiping, false gods, and that troubled Paul as well, just, just like it would trouble God. And it, would, uh, it wasn't threatening. It was hurtful. It was you know, emotional, and he had such a passion for God's glory. He knew this is not right. I've got to proclaim the gospel, the truth that they have not heard yet. So they're worshiping these idols, these gods, in ignorance. I'm going to share the truth. One, in love, because God loves them. I'm going to love them. But two, I, I have a passion for God's glory, and he deserves their worship, not these idols. Okay, mm-hmm. so all that's kind of overflowing in Paul's heart, but it comes out in strategy, okay? And he sticks to it. He goes to the Jewish synagogue. He goes to the Greek marketplace. All right. And he's there. He's talking with all the Epicureans, the Stoic philosophers, and they're kind of questioning him. And so they say, hey, we're going to go to the Areopagus where you could tell all of us this, this <laughs> message that you have, and we'll listen to you. 
because that's what they like to do. They like to listen to the, uh, the new philosophies. It's kind of like an academic setting. They like to uh, bring criticism. They want to hear a new argument so they can shoot, you know, shoot it down, right? And that's kind of what was going on here. So they're ready to shoot Paul down and when he gets up and, and shares the gospel. But look in uh, verse 21 kind of tells that. It says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Okay. Sounds like a little bit like social media stuff, right? It does. I, that was the social media of their, that day. Yeah. And uh, so what you do today, it's amazing how many people are dislike or whatever they say, the comments. Uh, sometimes uh, on social media, you'll see a story and you'll learn more about people by looking at the comments underneath yeah. it than you do. And I don't do that yeah, very com- much. The comments are usually not good territory. That's right. I, I just usually don't go there, but I know that you have both hands. So they're discussing this, and so they're ready to really to hear the Apostle Paul, not necessarily because of great interest and, oh, boy, this is going to be, but to hear something new and to try to critique it, aren't they? That's right. So he gets up and he shares. That's the fourth key, the fourth practice of a missional body, of a church, a team, is to share with purpose, okay? Share the gospel, share with purpose. And you can see this is in verses 22 through 31. Let's look at a few things here. The first thing, there's really three parts to this, if you want to break it down. First, there's a patient observation. Look at verse uh, 23, and Paul is talking here, and he's telling about his own process of uh, why he wants to share this message with them, okay? It says, verse 23, For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. (laughs) I know this, that which is unknown to you is known to me. Is that really what he's saying? Yes. So look at some of the words that Paul uses in this verse. He says the word see, okay, observing, found, what does that tell us about Paul? He was paying attention to his context. Remember what we said, let the context play a part in what you, how you do ministry. Nathan, I remember going through some uh, evangelism classes, and they said, as you go in twos, when you go up to the house, notice things. Notice yes. if there's bicycles. Notice if there's riding toys. Notice what's there. And when you see, you'll know possibly if there's teenagers there, there's children there. So observe your surroundings. Exactly. is is not just true of Paul. That's true locally as well. Yes. So, I mean, that's right there in, in my notes. Pay attention to your context. Notice where God is working. Mm. Okay. What, and, and part of that is waiting for the God moment. Yes. Okay. For Paul, he believed this was the God moment. They brought him here to speak in front of these people. Does Paul ever turn down a speaking engagement? <laughs> Not that I know of. <laughs> I don't think so either. And every time you can guarantee when Paul speaks, who is he going to talk about? He's going to talk about Jesus. He's going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> so it's, but it starts with our, our, our sharing with this purpose of Jesus. Starts with a patient observation of the context and, and the people that we're dealing with. Okay, But then go back to verse 22. We'll pick up some of this. It also includes a personal engagement, right. okay? You're not an outside, 
uninterested observer, there's a personal engagement you're, you're, when you're dealing with these people. Even on a cross-cultural setting, they might be totally different from you. They might be strangers to you, but you want to engage them personally. Look at the words he uses in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was ascribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Again, we read that already, but I wanted to pick out a few different you words this it. time. Yeah, you see it differently. You it see said, the eyes. You see you the do. personal pronouns, don't you? It says, then Paul, so we're talk, Paul's doing the talking here. He said, I see, I was passing through, I found, I proclaim. Okay? He's personally engaged with the people. He's getting out into the streets, and he's going where the people are. Okay? That's critically important and it's maybe you think well that kind of goes with the territory yes but you can you can do it physically without emotionally and intellectually engaging with people you can do it without spiritually engaging with people within without investing your own life paul's investing his life even though he's waiting for the rest of his team to show up he's investing his life here in athens with these people amen so there's a patient observation there's a personal engagement And then finally, you see a passionate proclamation, verses 24 through 31. And this is the message that Paul is sharing about Jesus. There's three parts to this. There probably would have been a fourth part if he would have not been interrupted. I believe he was interrupted. We've talked about this before. Yes, no doubt. But here's what he's sharing as far as the content of his message of the gospel. First, he's sharing who God is, God's revealed character, okay, so they had misconceptions about who God was or, or these gods, plural, might have been. But they did have that one statue, that one idol, to an unknown God. And so Paul uses that basically as a redemptive analogy saying, I'm going to make him known to you. So does that mean in communities or something you're trying to find some common ground? Yes. And you really do work from there, a common ground. It may be children like I said, walking into a uh, to a house when you're wanting to get to know them, they're your neighbors, and you find out you find a common ground. He found common yeah. ground on this. Yeah, you find common guy. ground between you and the audience, the people that you're dealing with, but you also want to find common ground that points to God, who God is, so God can reveal Himself through His Word and His revealed character about who He is. The second thing you're proclaiming is what He has done. Okay. In other words, his redemptive purposes. And that's, of course, revealed in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And Paul even, you know, he, he even gets to that point. The third thing about his proclamation and his message is what God demands. Okay. In other words, his God's grace-filled invitation toward us. And, mm. you know, let's look in just verse uh, 30, 31. Yes. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, remember Paul said you guys are worshiping in ignorance. So it, I think for Paul, he believes it's up to this point until they hear the truth. Okay. So therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness 
by the man he has appointed. We know that's Jesus. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. All right, so he's extending a grace-filled invitation to repent. I believe there's going to be more to Paul's message, but what happens here? When they hear of the resurrection, they do not let it go any further. It says, of the dead they mocked, and others said, we'll hear more. It's always that case. There's those that believe instantly, those that do not believe, and then those, uh, I want to talk some more about it. That hasn't changed, Nathan. That's right. So when Paul shares the message of the gospel, he he packs up and leaves town, right? No. (laughs) No, he doesn't do that. Not Paul. He... He does the fifth thing that we're talking about, and we're going to quickly run through these last three practices of living on mission. The fifth thing is you keep things open for follow-up. And just as you read in verse 32, some mocked and ridiculed. In other words, they're closing their ears and they're not going to hear anymore. But some said, others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Then Paul left their presence. However, some men joined him and believed including Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Hallelujah. So there, were, there was an openness, keeping things open from Paul for others to come along to hear more. We know that as discipleship. Okay, that's what's going on right. here. Um, they're responding to the gospel, and they're going to be discipled, possibly unto salvation, possibly unto ministry and, and more work by Paul. And... Uh, also, this kind of falls into the sixth practice that we want to talk about. We need to expect results. Yes. Okay. There's going to be a response. And we see those results right here. Yeah. Some will believe, others will mock, but the emphasis is not on how many. Okay. We like to emphasize that, don't we? Yes. How many you know, were baptized? How many uh, came to church? How many did this? But the emphasis in the Bible is not on how many. It's a part of it. But it's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on who. Notice the names. The names of the people. Amen. And the networks that they represent. Yes, they do. The social networks. And and there's those that came with them. That's exactly right. Amen. So we expect results. One more key, one more practice of a missional life. And we're going to cheat. We're going to go over to verse, to chapter 18, verse 1. 18.1 says, after this, he left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, what do, you, what do you think that means? Well, here's what I believe the seventh practice is. We need to keep a long-term vision. We need to be ready for the next place, the next season that God will send us. Okay? We need to be ready for more. There's always more fruit. There's another field. And so there's always an after this. That's like me pastoring for 38 years. I, I didn't know anything but that. And I'm still pastoring, but it's interim. But God opened up the door of ministry at American Family Radio. It's a neat what God can do, isn't it? It is. It's, a, it's really neat. Nathan, thank you for sharing that seven practices that Paul used in reaching a community. We can still use those. And again, I remind you, if you couldn't get them all down, we have podcasts. And you can go to AFR.net and look at the podcast list and you'll find Exploring Missions and you can come and the date that it was on and the title, and uh, you can follow up and find these seven things that will help you to be on mission in your community, no matter what that community is like. 
And uh, so thank you for listening to Exploring Missions. Nathan and I invite you to stay on mission with God and join him where he is active and be a part of the Great Commission in bringing people to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 